text for uh, the sermon today comes from Matthew chapter, chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Let me, let me pray. Uh, gracious Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, when you pray for your disciples, you uh, pray that uh, they might be sanctified by your truth. Your word is truth. And so we pray you would bless the preaching and the hearing of this, your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I remember um, a long time ago, maybe 20 years ago, um, uh, running across a study note in the Reform, Reformation Study Bible, um, maybe second edition or so. I think it was in the first one as well. The study note was entitled, The Mission of the Church in the World. Here's a summary of what it said. The mission of every local church and every Christian in the church is twofold. First and fundamentally, it is the work of worldwide mission, making disciples and planning churches, Matthew 28. Proclaiming Jesus everywhere as God incarnate, Lord and Savior, and announcing God's invitation to enter life through turning to Christ in repentance and faith. Second, all Christians are called to works of mercy and compassion, responding with generosity and compassion to all forms of human need. Jesus healed the sick, fed the hungry, and taught the ignorant. And so he continues these ministries through his people today. In so doing, he makes credible the gospel we share about a savior whose love transforms sinners into those who love God and who love others. Uh, there have been times when I've, um, you know, there's so much static and so much noise that goes on uh, in life and in churches sometimes that you kind of forget what it's about. And that has always been a helpful thing for me to go back and remember the worldwide mission and works of mercy. So this morning, uh, in the first of a two-part sermon series on mercy ministry, we're going to look at three things, and they're in your bulletin. The first is mercy as an essential kingdom character trait. The second, uh, some answers to the question, what is mercy? And the third, some practical observations and applications. And I'll uh, just tell you right now, there's ten of those. There's ten practical observations and, and applications, but don't be alarmed. Uh, they're not that long. So the first thing, mercy as an essential kingdom character trait. I think it would be fair to say that if you got scripture and just read all the way through the Bible and someone were to ask you, okay, uh, what is, what are the, what are the integral parts of God's character as far as you can tell from the Bible? Now you may say a bunch of things like holiness and righteousness and many other things, goodness, uh, but you would have to include as a part of God's character the characteristic of mercy. We see it all through Scripture. God is called the Father of mercies. Uh, the psalmist says his compassion is over all that he has made. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see repeated cycles of God extending mercy and forgiveness to stiff-necked sinners over and over and over again. Uh, the commands all through Scripture and very prominent all through the law the commands to care for the widows and the orphans and the strangers and the, and the poor. Um, 
by providing for them. And then the reason given, why do you do that? Why do you help the poor? Why do you help the stranger? And he says this in Deuteronomy uh, 24. Essentially, it's this. Because you need to remember who you were before I extended mercy to you. You were slaves in the land of Egypt. Um, and so in the New Testament, uh, we see even uh, in more, with more light, we see the divine mercy of God breaking into the world of human misery in the person of, of Jesus Christ, who, who demonstrated not only his authority, but all his, also his compassion by healing people again and again and again. The blind would come to him, the lame, the demon-possessed, the deaf, the mute. And typically, he would heal them in response to this request, Son of David, have mercy upon me. Uh, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is when the leper comes to Jesus and seeks healing. And it says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. And he reaches out and touches him. And he says, be cleansed. And he's cleansed. And I thought to myself, you know, how long had it been since somebody touched that leper? And I just thought of the, just the, the healing power of the touch of Christ with the power of, 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 of his, you know, of his, of the eternal Godhead at work, but also through a touch, he touched the leper. And so what we say is, is that mercy is a, it's a character trait of God. And it is a character trait of everyone who is in Christ. Everyone who by repentance and faith has been adopted into God's family. It's the old saying, like father, like son. If you are a Christian, you will bear a trait of mercy in your life. It's just, it's just a part of who you are. In our verse uh, for today, Matthew 5, 7, it's found at the beginning of what you will know as Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Les will be preaching on the Sermon on the Mount this spring, so I'm not going to give any extensive introduction to the verses. But in a nutshell, the Sermon on the Mount is about, if I can borrow uh, the subtitle to Sinclair Ferguson's book on this sermon, it's about kingdom lifestyle in a fallen world. What does a citizen of the kingdom of God look like in this world? What does he look like in, in, in his office? What, is a, what does repentance and faith look like at a little league game in a Christian coach or a Christian parent or a Christian mom? Um, what does the rule of Jesus look like in a husband or a wife or an employer or an employee? What does it look? It looks like something. And what the Bible tells us is, is that it looks like this Sermon on the Mount. Um, it, it looks like, among other things, it, it, that life looks like mercy. Uh, you know, 5-7 is, um, is a beatitude. A beatitude, the Beatitudes are a list of verses at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that essentially give the character traits of believers and the blessings that they enjoy. Uh, the Beatitudes don't tell us what to do. The Beatitudes tell us, they say, this is who you are. And, these are, and because you are who you are in Christ, these are the blessings that you enjoy. And so if you were to go back, and your homework for this afternoon is to go back and read through the Beatitudes. In fact, maybe read through the whole Sermon on the Mount to get ready for the sermon series. But if you were to go back and read through, you'd see that, and I've got my Bible in front of me, so you would see that a, that a Christian is someone who's poor in spirit. In other words, a Christian is someone who has been given eyes to see who he really is before God, that he is a sinner in the sight of God. And all he deserves is the wrath of God. He deserves nothing good from God. 
And he begins to see that by the power of the, of the, of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. Uh, and then all of a sudden, he, he begins to not only see himself to be a sinner, but he, he, he mourns over his sin. He mourns over the sin of the world. And, 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 and as he mourns over his sin, he sees his complete insufficiency before the face of God. And it produces meekness in him. And then all of a sudden, he's undone. He's, he's, you know, now that I've looked inside, I find nothing to help me. Where do I go? And so he hungers and thirsts for righteousness. So he reaches out to find a righteousness outside of himself. And he finds it in Christ. And he's filled. And then once he's filled and he's been through that desert and he's filled with this righteousness. And wow, he finds out that he's not the same person. It's no longer he who lives. It's Christ who lives in him. And so he begins to reach out. He begins to reach out to others, for example, in mercy. And that's the progression that we see that's, that goes on. Um, the bottom line is this, is that once somebody is in Christ, once that righteousness and mercy in Christ has been given, um, then the people of God, we, we, we simply, mercy comes in and mercy comes out. And that's the fuel for the mercy that we extend to other people. It's not so that we'll, we don't, we don't help people so that we'll go to heaven. We help people because we are going to heaven. You know, the evangelism explosion questions, uh, one of the illustrations in there describes the Christian. The Christian is a beggar who is telling other beggars where to find bread. Uh, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our extension of mercy to other people is a celebration and fruit of God's extension of mercy to us. When I see what God has done for me, I cannot help but be merciful. This is a great, by the way, for parents, this is something that you might spend a little time drilling down on uh, so that they kind of understand how all this uh, works with regard to mercy. Uh, you know, and, and you can tell them this, that Matthew 5, 7 does not say that I receive mercy in Christ because I extend mercy. All through the Bible, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. What 5.7 does say, it says that if I'm not merciful, it can only mean that I have not received mercy in Christ. If I'm not merciful, then I, then, then I have no awareness of the mercy that's been given me in Christ and have no credible claim to faith. It's kind of like the Lord's Prayer. A person doesn't earn forgiveness by forgiving others. Rather, it's because a person is forgiven that he forgives others. And then the blessing well, the blessing is, is that we receive mercy at various levels and in various ways in this life, and then we receive mercy in fullness on the last day when Jesus returns. So, mercy as a kingdom character trait. But what is mercy? What does it mean to be merciful? Well, as mentioned a moment ago, mercy at one level can be defined as forgiveness to others, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Uh, once we really begin to just feed on the fact that we've been forgiven so much, then that person that's sort of kind of mean to us uh, or we just whatever reason bugs us we kind of begin to find ourselves praying for them you know we pray that we'll love them pray that we'll forgive them and and then all of a sudden we find something happens guess what we really do love them and we really do forgive them we don't feel like we have to press home our bad feelings we don't feel like we have to harbor you know harbor grudges you know i wonder if there are people here this morning who are harboring grudges grudges against other people maybe you're harboring a grudge against a family member Maybe you're harboring uh, a grudge against somebody else in this church. 
And the question is this, is it might the gospel of God's mercy and forgiveness to you encourage you to move in mercy and forgiveness toward the broken relationship? Maybe. But at another level, mercy can be defined not only as forgiveness, but as compassionate action intended to relieve the sufferings of someone else. Now, the most familiar example that I know, and the one that's used in everybody's book, is the example of mercy to, uh, to needy people is found in Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. And so the, the lawyer asked the question, uh, you know, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him this story of this. Well, there was a certain man who was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves. They beat him up, took all his money, took all of his stuff, left him half dead. So the priest comes by. He looks. Apparently he was busy. He had things to do. Passes by on the other side. Levite comes. He looks. Apparently he was busy. Passed by on the other side. And then this Samaritan comes, which to a to a Jewish ear would have been like, what do you mean making a Samaritan? I mean, what do you mean making this guy stop? And it would have been offensive to them. So the Samaritan stops, and, and what does he do? He stops, he bandages the man's wounds, he picks him up, puts him on his own donkey, takes him to the inn, pays for the, the time, tells the guy, look, you know, take care of him, look after him, feed him, do whatever you need to do. When I come back, if I owe you more, then I'll, then I'll pay you. He got through telling the story. And the lawyer who had asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, looked at him and said, so who do you suppose was, was neighbor uh, to him who was, who, was, who, was, who was hurt? And um, the lawyer said, well, I suppose the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, you're right. And he said, you go and do likewise. And so at some level, uh, as one writer has put it, mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing what you can to restore dignity to someone whose life has been broken by sin, whether it's their sin or somebody else's. It doesn't matter initially. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, who y'all may remember uh, is uh, one of my favorite uh, preachers, he compared and contrasts grace and mercy in this way. He said, grace is especially associated with men in their sins. Mercy is especially associated with men in their misery. In other words, while grace looks down upon sin as a whole, mercy looks especially upon the miserable consequences of sin. So that mercy really means a sense of pity plus a desire to relieve the suffering. That is the essential meaning of being merciful. It is pity plus action. Not just pity, not just, oh, what a shame. But it's, oh, what a shame. What can I do to help? What can I do to relieve the suffering of this person? And so mercy as a kingdom character trait, mercy defined, and now third and finally, some practical observation and applications. Now, I will only be scratching the surface, and you no doubt will think of many more that I didn't put down here. The first thing is this, is to be merciful is to be truly human and truly Christian. We were created to love God and to love other people. We were, as we said a moment ago, we were created for good works, prepared beforehand for us. Please listen. There is no abundant life in Christ. There is no living the good life apart from mercy to others. None. And this is true for everybody. Mercy is a characteristic of every believer. I don't care whether you're rich or whether you're poor or whether you're black or brown or white or whatever color you are, whatever your socioeconomic class is, mercy is a characteristic of all. And we are never more truly human and truly Christian 
than when we are filled with mercy, the mercy of Christ for other people. Second, because the effects of sin are broad and multifaceted, the extension of mercy to others likewise has to be broad and multifaceted. Uh, the gospel speaks wholeness. The gospel works wholeness, works health to the whole person. And because of that, mercy ministry has to be directed toward all kinds of things. It has to be directed toward spiritual needs. It has to be directed toward social needs, emotional needs, vocational needs, physical needs, practical needs. You, you, would, you might be surprised at how many people in Oxford, Mississippi, do not have one single friend. Just a ministry of coffee, the ministry of a coffee cup. The ministry of a meal, you have no idea what that would mean to more people in this town than you and I could realize. Third, mercy ministry, whether it's as a church or as individuals, individual Christians, it must keep the saving person and work of Jesus Christ at front and center. In the long haul, mercy ministry minus the gospel will be empty and unsustainable. Maybe make you feel good for a little bit, but it won't, it'll just be empty eventually. Uh, Jesus ministered in word and deed. The helpers, those who help and the helped, must know and must remember that everyone is a sinner who deserves the wrath of God and that Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior for whoever will come to him in repentance and faith. Also, helpers and the help must remember that everyone is made in God's image. And thus, no matter a person's station in life, no matter a person's addictions and all the rest of the things that go on, no matter the, the, the different needs that people have, everyone has dignity and worth and abilities that fruitfully can be used to the glory of God in constructive ways in the world. Now, if we don't remember these things, here's what happens. If we don't remember these things, the helper begins to believe that he's the Savior. And he's got all the answers. And if the needy person would just listen to him and do what he said, he'll begin to have a God complex. And the helped will have little hope. If redemption is not held out, if dignity as image bearers is not held out, then those who are being helped will have very little hope of anything. You know, it's easy to feel worthless when you're needy. It's easy to condescend and feel superior when you have all your material needs met and you're not on the receiving end of the help. It's easy for those with power to treat with contempt those who are powerless. It just is. Fourth, yes to leading with ministry of the word but yes, also to ministry of deed. It's word and deed. The Good Samaritan, what did he do? He dealt with the effects of sin in front of his eyes. I mean, he walked up, here's this guy half dead, and he just went to work, got out the oil and began to bandage up his wounds and put him on the thing and pulled out some cash and gave the guy probably a, a little drink, took him to the place and took care of him. He, just, he, he dealt with the immediate consequences of the sin in front of his eyes. He didn't lecture him. He didn't blame him. He didn't say, well, were you showing money? Uh, why didn't you go with somebody? You know, he, he didn't give him. By the way, all of this stuff might be good to talk about later, right? 
but not at the beginning, not at the first. A lot of stuff that may be appropriate at later points is often not appropriate in the first place. Deal with the instant consequences of sin. Jesus never ignored a needy, hurting person who came to him. Never ignored him. He never, he never snuffed out a, 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 a dimly burning wick, and he, uh, he never broke a bruised reed. You know, James 2 says, faith without works is dead. And so we say, look, yes, share the gospel with the man who's outside in the cold, hungry and freezing. Talk to him about a job, but first give him a hot meal and some warm clothes and a place to stay. It's amazing how to a freezing person, a hot meal, warm clothes and a place to stay helps them hear better. Sixth, fifth, rather, fifth. Mercy involves healing through relationships, often over a long period of time. Needs are isolating. When we have needs, it isolates us, and it causes us to isolate ourselves. Look, everybody needs somebody. So think about people in this community that don't have one single friend. Everybody needs somebody. It's easy and generally unfruitful to seek quick fixes for deeply entrenched problems. Sometimes they never get fixed from our perspective. But sometimes you just have to take, you have to, you come along for the long haul. You know, I'm, a, I'm sort of a quick fix guy, right? You don't want to ride in. Here comes the cavalry. Let's just go ahead and lay down. You just did this, this, and this. Everything will be great. And then when they don't do this, this, and this, I'm kind of ready to move on to somebody who will, right? That's not mercy. Sixth, mercy involves all of us as a church. Mercy is not simply a ministry of the deacons, not simply a ministry of a few church members or staff. Mercy involves gathering needy people, putting, bringing them into a church family of needy people, which would be all of us, where we can enjoy and celebrate together the healing love of Christ in relationship. Seventh, Mercy is sometimes simple, sometimes complex, sometimes both. It takes a lot of wisdom from above. Some ways of extending mercy are wise, some are not. No mercy is perfect. Sometimes it's messy. Why? Well, you got a bunch of sinners who are helping and a bunch of sinners who are being helped. So you got sinners helping sinners, and you expect it to be clean. It just can't be. It just simply can't be. We're all sinners, and we're all doing the best we know how. But I'm going to make some, you're going to make some crazy, uh, you're going to have some decisions about what mercy looks like that I may think are, are crazy. And, you know, it just always doesn't do the way we think it is or should. It's complex, at least to me. It's almost always inconvenience. Nothing like mercy will show you how selfish you are. And nothing like mercy will show you how little you really believe in the providence of God. Because that all of a sudden that mercy opportunity shows up and it's just getting, it's just messing up your gig. It's just messing up your schedule. And like the providence of God is just somewhere gone. God brings things up in ways that just blow our minds. And we've got to submit to the providence of God and, and, and get on his timetable as it were. You know, the truth of the matter is this. The alcoholic that you're driving to rehab, he might throw up in your floorboard. And then every time you get in your car, for the rest of the time you have that car, you'll remember him. Right? 
Money issues. While most times money issues are the most apparent issues, money issues are rarely the issues. But it takes time. It takes a relationship to go through these things. Eighth, mercy sometimes is reactive, sometimes proactive. Galatians 6.10 says, insofar as you have opportunity, do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. So, the Good Samaritan is just going on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho or from Jericho to Jerusalem. I don't know which way he was going. He looked on the road and here's a guy beat up. So he just, he was right in front of him. So he just, he just, he extended mercy to the guy, right? So sometimes it is, it's reactive, but sometimes it's proactive. You know, there are people in VA, there's people in the VA. Now, again, the COVID thing is a deal, but there are people in the VA and probably in a lot of the nursing homes around within 30 miles of where we are uh, who probably don't have two visitors a year. I mean, it's just true. They get there for a variety of different, different reasons and they're just, and they're just there. Uh, people in jails and prisons, they're not going, you're not going to have much chance to react to them. You're going to probably have to be proactive to some of those things. Ninth, uh, mercy is not so much a plan of action as it is a way of life. Yes, we need to have plans. We need to have training. We need to do a lot of things about what does this all look like. But really at the heart of it, it's more of a, it's more just a who you are. It's a part of your DNA as a redeemed man or a redeemed woman. Tenth and last, as mentioned earlier, mercy makes the gospel credible. Eugene Peterson said the church is to be a colony of heaven in the country of death. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, in one of his books, he describes mercy, uh, and I'll turn it into love. He says that love is the final apologetic. People can argue with you until they're blue in the face about inerrancy of Scripture, about the canon of Scripture, about what should be in, what should be out, and all these kinds of things. But they cannot argue with your love for them. Your atheist friend, who you argue with all the time about the Bible, is in a snowbank stuck at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he's kind of going down his, in his mind going, all right, who can I call to come get me or to help me? I know what I do. I'm going to call Bob. So he calls Bob, wakes Bob up. Bob's his Christian friend. And Bob, hey, what's up? Bob, I tell you this, I'm like five miles outside of town. It's snowing like crazy. I'm stuck in a snowbank. I'm kind of worried about things. Bob says, tell me where you are now exactly. Tells him. I'll be there as soon as I can get there. Bob shows up at 3 in the morning, gets out of the truck to go help him, has a hot cup of coffee for him, and a hot donut. What argument what conceivable argument could the guy stuck in the snowbank have against that? There's none. The gospel makes credible, the, 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 the mercy makes credible the gospel we share about a Savior who transforms people into people who love God and love others. Mercy is discipleship, particularly with our children. Mercy opportunities to minister with your children. I knew a man who used to load his key, I knew a man who used to load his load his kids up in the back of his pickup truck every Christmas Eve morning. And they would go to the grocery store and he would fill the back of his truck up 
with turkeys and hams and oranges and apples and various things. And then that Christmas Eve morning, they would go around to lower income families and distribute those meals to families that otherwise would not have had Christmas. And it made an indelible impression upon his children. They talk about it till today. And that's been over 50 years. The British newspapers, I'll close with this. The British newspapers at the end of 1844 attributed a spike in Christmas time charitable giving to the release of A Christmas Carol, which was a book by Charles Dickens about a stingy old man who became generous after he was given visions into his past, present, and future. Now, here's my question to us. How much more should God's abundant mercies to us in Jesus Christ, how much more should those mercies move us as a church and as individuals to extend mercy to whoever is in need, not as any special activity, but simply as a way of the life of us in this church. I mean that as, I mean that as an encouraging question. How much more might that mercy move us to mercy? Mercy in and then mercy out. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we pray that your mercy, we pray that your grace uh, really, truly will be the fuel uh, that feeds us and that leads us in every area of life. I pray you would raise up an army of folks here in this place who love you and who love every single person you bring across our path. I pray that we might even just cherish the opportunity to be vessels of your mercy, that it might bring us great joy to see others whose eyes and hearts are opened up to the truths of the mercies and the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it all in his name. Amen.